Hello, friends, and thank you for joining me again this week as we look into the Gospel of Luke. Our topic for today is how Luke defines salvation. For the rest of our time together, we're going to look at different ways and places where Luke defines salvation specifically as withness, being with Jesus. In one of the early passages of the gospel proper, where Jesus's ministry and John the Baptist's ministry begin, we get in John chapter 3 this narration of how the Baptist begins to preach and proclaim a baptism. And Luke quotes the prophet Isaiah. He says, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways made smooth, and all flesh will see the salvation of God. Luke chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. Now, as you can see, and I use that word very uh, intentionally, Luke is borrowing this image from the prophet Isaiah that salvation is something that we can see. He talks about the mountains being made low and valleys being lifted up so that everyone is standing on an equal level place where they can all get a glimpse of God's salvation, which tells us that there is something about salvation that we should be able to see. It is not something delayed for the afterlife, It is not something that's merely spiritual in that it's immaterial. But salvation is something that can actually be seen, a dynamic that can be observed. And if we go back to the prophet Isaiah and we look at the context of where we get these images of the hills being made low and the valleys being lifted up, later in Isaiah 40, just a few verses after what Luke quotes here, when he's talking, the prophet is talking about salvation being something you can see. And then he says in verse 10, see, the Lord comes with might. So not only is salvation something you can see, salvation is being able to see God coming towards you. Salvation has something to do with the coming, the nearing presence of God. And let's look at a few ways that Luke shows us this in his own narrative, that salvation is the presence of God. Think about when Jesus is born, and Luke has this really unique and wonderful birth narrative. And an angel comes to the shepherds out in the fields and says to to them, Do not be afraid. For I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be the sign for you. You will find this child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. From Luke chapter 2, verses 10 through 12. Notice how he says this will be a Savior, a saving presence, and you can actually go see him right now. You can go see him and you can put your hands on him. Mary will let you hold this baby. You can touch the cloth that he's wrapped in. You can feel the warmth of his breath. 
Salvation is a savior, and it's his imminent presence. He's right over there. You could probably be there in a few minutes. Later, after Jesus is born, and his parents take him into the temple to present him to the Lord, there's a prophet in the temple named Simeon, and it says that Simeon took this baby, Jesus, in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, he's talking to God here, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Now notice here, Simeon doesn't call Jesus the Savior. He calls Jesus the salvation. So when we think about a Savior being the one that brings the salvation stuff, <laughs> but here we learn that the Savior and the salvation is all the same thing. Salvation is not some far-off event. Salvation is the very presence of Jesus. And notice Jesus here being a child that's only eight days old. This child is only lying in someone's arms. This child is not talking. He's not teaching. He's not dying on a cross just yet. But already he is salvation. His very presence is salvific. And we might wonder, well, what does that mean, salvific, to be saved? Um, the word to be saved in Greek is the word sozo. Now, here's the thing I love about sozo. It not only means save, as in to rescue or deliver or to prevent from being harmed, but the other meaning is to heal, to restore to health or to put back together. And I love that because the presence of Jesus is restoration, is healing. And we can see that because at the very beginning, before Jesus is even born, Mary says when she sings her Magnificat hymn, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. All of these songs that take place at the beginning of uh, the birth narratives of John the Baptist and Jesus are all about a restoration of Israel, of a healing and a gathering in of the people. In fact, we can see this definition of salvation as restoration in the way that the word saved is used throughout Luke's gospel. So, in chapter 7 of Luke's Gospel, Jesus is eating dinner at the house of a Pharisee and a woman, who the text tells us is a sinner, comes in when she hears that Jesus is there. And she brings this expensive ointment and she washes his feet, not only with the ointment, but with her own tears and dries his feet with her hair. And after she performs this demonstration of love and devotion, Jesus says to her, your sins are forgiven. And then he goes on to say, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I want you to notice that her faith has saved her. 
her trust in who, in, in the very presence of Jesus. Now, what's interesting is throughout this entire encounter, this is the first time that Jesus even speaks to the woman. She's weeping over his feet and kissing them and drying them with her hair. But Jesus is talking to a Pharisee this whole time at dinner. It wasn't that he gives her any special teaching. It wasn't that she even says anything to him. She merely has drawn close. And by drawing close to him, Jesus says, your faith has saved you. The salvific thing, the thing that enacts salvation, is the fact that she was close to the presence of Jesus. And that presence restores because he says, go in peace, meaning go in proper fellowship with your fellow human beings, with your community, with yourself, and with God. So this is a wonderful example of how Luke defines salvation as the presence of Jesus, which restores people to wholeness. Another miracle that Jesus performs in Luke's gospel is he restores the sight of a blind man in Luke chapter 18. And Jesus says, receive your sight, your trust has saved you. But we notice that it's dipping into both of these notions of what sozo means. Yes, your faith has healed you, because he literally has had his eyesight restored. He has been healed in his body. But then I want you to notice what happens next. It says immediately he regained his sight and followed Jesus, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, praised God. So not only has his body been healed, but he has been restored to fellowship with his fellow human beings. He is now part of this crowd of disciples and followers. He is part of a congregation that is praising and glorifying God. He has been healed not only in his body, but in his relationships. And this, I think, is very important to Luke. This notion of being gathered up together. And this goes back to that chapter 40 of Isaiah that Luke was quoting when he gives this programmatic picture of what salvation looks like in his gospel. I want to read you uh, one more verse that's there. Right after he says, see, the Lord comes in his might. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 11 says, he will feed his flock like a shepherd and he will gather all the lambs and carry them and lead the sheep. This notion of seeing the salvation of God also means seeing people brought together in community and individually seeing people brought back together when they have been in pieces, when they have been not just estranged from others, but estranged from themselves. In fact, Chapter 40 of Isaiah goes on to say that Jesus, that, excuse me, that God will give power to the faint and strengthen the powerless. And I think that we see that in this story of the blind man at the beginning of the miracle uh, story. The man is sitting by the side of the road begging for his food 
And as soon as he hears that Jesus is passing by, he shouts and shouts, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He is powerless. He is sitting, not standing and walking. He is in a position only to beg. And at the end, when he has been restored and healed, now he's following Jesus. He's part of the crowd. He's standing, he's walking, and he's seeing. He now has the power. In fact, the very next uh, story that comes right after this man receiving his sight is another salvation story. And we actually get a double uh, in this story because Luke uses the word saved and salvation. And I want you to notice how this happens and see if as I'm reading this, you can't hear some of these threads of what Luke defines salvation as as you hear this story of a very small tax collector in Jericho. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see Jesus because he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus hurried down and was happy to welcome him. And all who saw it began to grumble and said, he's gone to be the guest of one who's a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, today, Salvation has come to this house because he too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek out and to save the lost. That's Luke chapter 19 verses 1 through 10. Now what I love about this is again, Luke is not working with the definition of salvation as something to be delayed. And in our culture and in a lot of church teachings that have happened in the last couple hundred years, there has been this notion that salvation is getting to go to heaven after you die, that that is the salvation that Jesus can offer. But remember, Luke is working with this Old Testament definition of salvation, this definition from Isaiah and from many of the prophets and even farther back that salvation is actually just the presence of God. And if you have the presence of God, you have power. You have ability. You have safety. Think about the Old Testament notion of the Ark of the Covenant as mediating the presence of God. And as long as Israel had this Ark, it had a certain enabling, a certain ability. It had the presence of God that was there to bless and to keep them whole. So think about that if you need an image to sort of set your mind on. And so very much that same notion is present here in Luke's story about Zacchaeus. Everyone's grumbling that this is a sinner, but Jesus says, no, this person has received salvation. In fact, salvation came to his house today. Why? Because Jesus came to his house today. 
Jesus brings the presence of God with him. And that presence is restorative. That presence heals things and makes them whole. Notice how Jesus never preaches to Zacchaeus. He never ever confronts or convicts him about any kind of wrongdoing. Merely by drawing close to Zacchaeus and other people grumbling, Zacchaeus responds to the presence by saying, I'm going to give half of what I own to the poor. And if I have estranged myself from anybody because I have taken more than I ought, I will pay back four times. Do you see what this does? This restores Zacchaeus to his community. It restores him to wholeness in his relationship with others and with himself. It brings him back to be what he was supposed to be. And that is how Luke defines salvation. When the presence of God is near to you, then that presence either inspires or instates a renewal, a restoration, a bringing back to wholeness. Now, what's beautiful about Luke's definition of salvation is that it's not static because this tells us that salvation is actually on the move. It is not something that is out there for us to aspire to. And it's not an object that's hard to find. Rather, salvation is seeking us. Notice how Jesus says, the Son of Man came to seek out and save the lost. It is not something that we have to pursue but something that pursues us. And so we know it's never far away. Even if it's not something felt or sensed or perceived at the moment, and sometimes salvation does indeed feel far off, the good news of the way Luke describes it is that salvation is always very close, much closer than we think. It's as near as the presence of God. And here's where we come in. Because you may wonder, as many would, if the presence of Jesus is salvation. What does that mean once Jesus is gone? Jesus dies on the cross in Luke's gospel. And Luke is the only one of the gospel writers to write an account of the ascension, of Jesus returning back to heaven. Well, that's a good question. Because Jesus sends his spirit to his church. And it is the people of God. It is this Christ-following community then in Luke's story that continues to mediate this salvific presence. When we turn to the book of Acts, we see the community taking on this mantle of bringing the divine presence to those around them in order for them to be restored. I want you to just notice here that when we get to Acts chapter 1, Jesus tells his followers not to leave Jerusalem. Very beginning of Acts chapter 1, he says, But all of you wait there together until you receive the promise of the Father. And I love that because it was very important for them to remain whole 
because that's what that presence of God with that Holy Spirit does is it makes things whole. And so in order for them to receive it, they needed to be together. In fact, not only do they need to be together, but Luke actually makes it so that they symbolically demonstrate their togetherness. So you may remember that one of Jesus' disciples in the Gospel of Luke betrays him, Judas, and very unfortunately and tragically dies after that. And so the 12 are now only the 11. And so also in Acts chapter 1, Peter stands up and says, you know, we need to be 12 because Jesus called 12 and 12 there must be. And so they actually cast lots for one of the other disciples that wasn't a member of that inner circle of 12 and they take Mattathias and he becomes the 12th. Now, here's the thing. We never hear from Matthias again. He is not mentioned in the whole rest of the Acts story. His only purpose as a character is to complete the 12. Because 12 is an important number. 12 means the wholeness, the fullness, the completion of something. In the Old Testament, that number 12 is the fullness of Israel, the 12 tribes, the 12 sons of Jacob. In the New Testament, that 12 gets interpreted to the fullness of God's people, the fullness as symbolized by the 12 disciples. So that's what we have here in Acts chapter 1. They are now not only together, but together and complete. And so what happens in the next couple verses? Well, at the very beginning of chapter 2, it says, When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And that's when the Spirit rushes from heaven and fills the house where they are and divides itself as tongues of fire, and they are all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, they don't just hang out there enjoying the Holy Spirit. But this brings us back to our definition of salvation according to Luke. Because as soon as they have the Holy Spirit, they have this ability to speak other languages. And so it said, they went out into Jerusalem. And the whole crowd is just bewildered because everyone is hearing these men speaking in their native language. And there are people from all over the Mediterranean hearing the gospel. And then what happens? And then Peter preaches this amazing Pentecost sermon in chapter 2. And the punchline is, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So notice what happens. This presence, this wholeness and fullness goes out via the Christian community, and that presence brings salvation. And at the end of Luke's chapter 2, uh, excuse me, at the end of Acts chapter 2, Luke writes, so those who welcomed Peter's message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and of prayers. 
awe came over everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and all had things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, as they spent time together in the temple and breaking bread at home and eating their food with glad and generous hearts, they were praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. I hope you can see this connection between the presence of God, this salvific presence of Jesus, being mediated by the community, by the body of Christ. And what does that do? It brings salvation. All of these people from all over the world are now part of this community. And everyone's needs are being met. We can see that theme of they're being restored. They're being made whole. As people are coming into this community, sick people are getting medicine and hungry people getting food and lonely people finding friends. This community that Jesus established and that he poured out his spirit on now has the privilege and the responsibility to communicate that presence and distribute it to the world and all flesh now can see the salvation of God. Join me next week as we continue our study in the book of Luke. Hey there, family. I'm Pastor Jeremy, and I'm here with your, your other pastors and Dr. Evie Arnold. And we're still in the Gospel of Luke, and specifically we're uh, examining how salvation shows up in the Gospel of Luke. So take it away, Evie. All right. Well, today um, in our lecture, we talked about how Luke construes salvation as the presence of Jesus, like the actual presence, uh, Jesus being with people. So we talk about Luke for Luke, salvation is withness. If Jesus is standing next to you, if Jesus is talking to you, if he's eating with, if he's eating with you, <laughs> not eating you, um, if he is, um, if he's healing you, that that presence is what is saving. That salvation is not something delayed or put off. It's not something that's going to happen um, after you die. In fact, it doesn't even have to wait until Jesus dies. Right. There's no trusting in the death and resurrection of Jesus here. It's just his very presence, mm. um, which is just really beautiful. This is an embodied, tactile uh, salvation that you can you can put your arms around, you can sink your teeth into, mm. that um, you can trust it with all of your senses, which mm. I love. And, you know, obviously Luke's is a little different than other places in the Bible where we get different understandings of salvation or different pictures of it. Um, so I just think it's an interesting question. How has your definition of salvation evolved. Mm -hmm. How have you come, and I realize that y'all are Wesleyans, <laughs> so um, how would you define it, and what what caused that change in understanding? You know? I want to name for it, it's a really loaded word, so I have a feeling yeah. there are some right. folks who are yeah. listening right now who are tempted to shut this off, right. um, because that word can be used as a weapon, that word has been used around guilt, that word has been used shame. around shame. And so I just wanted to go ahead and say at the very beginning, 
keep listening because I think you're going to hear some things that that reshape um, some of this uh, because that is a word. You know, I, I am a Wesleyan. My whole family is Methodist. I grew up Methodist, but I also grew up in the Bible Belt. And that word got used very, very frequently to mean some very specific things because every church in the South is just a little bit Baptist um, and not E.B.'s kind of Baptist. <laughs> <laughs> um, Southern Baptist, right. But, uh, but, but some, some understandings of salvation being this very, very narrow definition. So mm-hmm. I just wanted to give that caveat before we get going. So mm-hmm. don't turn it's it important. off yet. Yeah. Back to the question of how yeah, has right. yours <laughs> changed? It's really hard because I, I don't know that I had, I don't know that I had that bad definition of salvation. It wasn't about eternal life when you die. It wasn't about damnation. It wasn't about... I have to pray the sinner's prayer, you know, that that it was it wasn't about the atone the the substitutionary atonement theory. It was about wholeness. It was about a sense of Christ being among us and when we accept that Christ's presence makes us whole, it, there is salvation for what God's vision was. So I I'm not a good person to talk about it <laughs> in that respect. Um, but I am a good person to talk about it. It's just to see what we've reduced, the reductionary work that we've mm-hmm. done in America mm-hmm. around this idea of salvation yep. that is just not at all what I read in scriptures. And so I'm conf- I'm always confused yeah. by how we got there. And, and I'm confused by this need to kill someone. Um, yeah. And I like blood songs. I'm filled with blood right. because I do need the redemption <clears throat> because I am mm-hmm. a sinner. But I recognize that that work was already done. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I just I get confused. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm in the same same boat. Like I was, I this doesn't make sense to me. But I understand mm-hmm. what you're saying, Melissa. Yeah. How yeah, important it is to say that because. It is held over over yes, people. Right. I mean, I I grew up in a town where the question "Are you saved?" was a regular, like introductory, mm-hmm. like, "Hey, what's your name? Mm-hmm. Where do you go to school? Are you mm-hmm. saved?" Like, the, those are normal questions mm-hmm. yep. to be asked, and 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 then expectation that you would have an answer to that question. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. That is a completely normal thing. And, and <laughs> salvation is our job too. I remember I got back. I was a youth director, and I had just gotten back from a mission trip, and. And um, we had family in town from Shelly's side of the family, and they're not Wesleyan. And that was the first question. How many people got saved on your mission yeah. trip? I'm like, well, we, we went and repaired people's homes and built, you know, ramps for uh, disabled persons to be able to get into their home. We, we, didn't, we, didn't, we didn't save anybody. No, and, what's the number? Right, yeah. And I remember <laughs> I was on another uh, youth trip, and we were in downtown Atlanta, and there was a street preacher. And he obviously knew that we were a group of Christians, and I was the leader, I guess, because he asked me how many souls I had saved mm-hmm. that day. And I said, I can't save anyone. Only Christ can. And my youth were like, oh, you schooled him. Like, <laughs> yeah. But like, that was just such a foreign question to me. Right. How many souls have I saved? I can't go on the cross <laughs> for myself, let alone anyone else. So th- like, that's always just been just just alien to me, but very much understanding yeah. 
how hurtful and diminutive that has become for a lot of people. Yeah, and I think it becomes that way. I don't think it's intended to to be that way. No, and right. so so mm-hmm. I think there is there is a you know, as much as I, I joke about that being a normal thing and Jeremy, I have a feeling you have a similar background that mm-hmm. I do of of, yeah, of having sure. that as part of culture. Yeah. Um but there's a love in that question too. There's mm-hmm. a love for people. So I, I don't mm-hmm. want to completely just, you know, brush that off. Um because there is a love and wanting the best for people yeah. and and it's how we frame what that means um you know to 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 be able to see the the breadth of what it can mean which yeah. is where i have grown to to see you know i i love what you're talking about eb because this idea of withness, this idea of embodiment, this idea, you know, I, I place my understanding of atonement and incarnation at the incarnation mm-hmm. that I love Luke. And Luke has always been my favorite gospel because it tells that incarnation story mm-hmm. that I think right. God going, I'm going to come and be with you mm-hmm. li- literally. Yes. That's the moment for me. If if there is a moment, we can all argue that there probably isn't one specific moment that God has been doing this work since the beginning of time. But if there was a moment for me that's the moment and that has changed dramatically for me that that while I do see that you know that passion narrative the the good friday to easter story as an important part of the gospel and what jesus work on 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 connecting back with us and and recognizing you know what jen is talking about is important i it to me it will always in my story be overshadowed by simply god coming to earth period and that that could have been enough of the story for mm. me so that has dramatically shifted in my understanding of salvation. You're right, Melissa. I do kind of, I have kind of had that same experience. I think that that's largely uh, what the community I grew up in, kind of the perspective they had of salvation. And so, uh, and I was sitting here quiet because I was trying to find words to talk about it that weren't, that, that didn't villainize. Yes. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because you're right, there there was love in that. And, yes. and I think there even still Concern. was the... Yeah. That I think there even still was the understanding that salvation is withness. Yes. But mm-hmm. it was a different understanding of what a life looks like when you come alongside Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. So there was, I mean, we even just look at cultural understandings of of, of the way that the human psyche works, <laughs> right? So uh, uh, you talk about uh, thinking about salvation, an example that people would often use from the pulpit is the sinner man. Right. Mm-hmm. Or, or or the wino, quote unquote. Right. Mm-hmm. Talking about people who uh, were living with addiction. Right. And the, in the implication, the idea was that when Jesus comes into your life, you automatically cast off those things like uh, you, addiction isn't a thing anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. When you don't have the context that addiction is a disease. Right. Mm-hmm. It's a public right. health issue. It's a thing that, that's worked through even when you come to know Jesus. And so. It's, I don't know, it, it, that all gets sticky for me trying to talk about it between that true concern for a person, somebody who didn't want to see people's lives ravaged by addiction mm-hmm. and who saw Jesus and Jesus coming alongside and being a part of this person's life as a way out of that and, and, and not having and, and having the understanding that, well, if you love Jesus and if Jesus was in your life, you wouldn't still be struggling with this thing. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Up against, yeah. And it's it's sad because if, if you don't understand, you know, those forms of addiction or of mental health issues... Um, those people tend to under, they underrate the importance of the withness. Right. Mm-hmm. They're like, well, if Jesus didn't take it away, what good is it just having him with there, yeah. with you there? And I'm like, you don't know what it means to be truly yeah. alone. Yeah. Like that, that the difference of going through it and then going through it with someone mm-hmm. who truly cares. Mm-hmm. 
Um, does it mean that all of your problems go away? No. Does it mean that you still are wrestling with addiction? Of course. Mm -hmm. But anyone who's known to what it feels like to be truly alone does mm -hmm. not underrate how the withness is itself salvific. Yeah. So it's interesting because listening to the different conversations, I recognize that that what was different for my upbringing was the was the in, was the prevenient grace mm -hmm. part. The prevenient grace part that I was taught was that I you know, Jesus never abandoned God never abandoned us because of our sin at the at the fall which is, you know, the total depravity kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. It was, no, no, God is always, the image of God is always, always with you, mm -hmm. you know? And I think for me, what's interesting is that I probably grew into, because I trusted that withness and I trusted that provenient grace, then I understood my need for justification because mm -hmm. even when Christ was with me, I sinned mm -hmm. and I turned away. But I would never not trusted the fact that because of then the atonement of what Christ did on the cross and resurrection, I could come back. You see what, it, mm -hmm. instead of instead of starting with the atonement, I start with provenient and starting with justification. When you start with mm -hmm. provenient grace, you trust that when you get to a point in your life where you've screwed up so royally bad mm -hmm. that you realize that you did it and Christ never abandoned you. Mm -hmm. And so therefore I needed justification mm -hmm. and yeah. sanctification mm -hmm. because yeah. I could turn away from Christ. Mm -hmm even when Christ didn't turn away from me. Right. Mm -hmm. And so for me, that's where I'm like, yeah, that's where I do go. I do love the cross. I love mm -hmm. Good Friday. I love all that. And I understood it because I trusted it was going to be okay because Christ was with me in it every single moment. Right. Mm -hmm. And and that's withness also. Right. It's yes. not yes. just the Correct. cross. It is not just the baby. Right. It is all of that. Because right. that's what I that's what I wrote down. My my definition of salvation uh has not evolved, but it's grown deeper as, as I've become more aware of my need for it. Yes. Right? I'm more aware of where I am ego-driven and not God-driven. And and so, yeah, that's what I was thinking too. And and it's, and it is for us prevenient grace that draws us towards justifying grace. And mm -hmm. that's, that's why, and that's wrapped in baptism is once, right? Because right. we step away from the covenant, but God, God's covenant never never ends. God is still with us. And so, um, yeah, so it, it necessarily evolved. It's just, mm -hmm. I understand it more, more so. I never was afraid. I've never in my life, even in my darkest, darkest days, was afraid that God would ever turn away from me, mm -hmm. which is what you're talking about. Like I felt at the, I've, I've been at the bottom of my pit. I've been mm. in my darkest days, mm. I've, you know, and the only people that were, the only person that was there was God. And mm. so then I had to wrestle with God. Yeah. Yeah. But God, I never thought God would leave me. That just ever. speaks so deeply to how, this just speaks so deeply to how you're told about God and your relationship with God, how it, how it shaped you and formed you. Because I think, I did have that fear right. largely. I, I think I, most people do. So mm -hmm. much so that like yeah. I could you could ask my friends from like when I was a kid, I would stop what I was doing and pray mm. and, and beg God for forgiveness mm -hmm. to not leave me mm -hmm. uh if I felt like I had done or said or thought anything that that, that would, would mm -hmm. cause that. And you know, um thinking about the initial question, how kind of uh, understanding perspective of, of salvation has changed, it just always seemed like 
a life or death uh, uh, event that involved prayer in front of people. Yes. yes. Right? Yes. And, wow. and, and I would say that, like, my perspective has kind of changed in a way that I still think it's a life or death thing, just in the way that the, the witness and understanding what, what living into... Uh, living into the person of Jesus what it calls us to is life or death because it means us mm-hmm. being together. It means mm-hmm. doing community and doing justice and that is life or death. And so mm-hmm. it's just like, mm-hmm. it's, it's just so interesting how it's different. It was my life or my death. It was doomsday insurance. Yeah. It was, it was yes. doomsday, oh, yeah. It was doomsday yeah. insurance. And uh, the other, I was going to say the other piece that it does that, that the, 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 the trauma that it inflicts on young people in particular Again, not to not to villainize the concept that that you want someone to have eternal life and you mm-hmm, want someone mm-hmm. to know Jesus. Because I, again, I don't want to take that 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 which was the driver for everyone I knew right. away from it. Is what it does when you think that it is your responsibility, because then now is it's it. So so let's say I do get saved. I do pray the right prayer. I feel strongly and I feel I feel secure, right, in in my own salvation. I have now been given the responsibility for the salvation of everyone I know. And that's on my shoulders by myself. Um, that is the other thing that I, I imagine some of some of the folks who are listening probably remember is feeling now responsible for then making sure my friends pray that prayer so that they will be with me. Mm-hmm. And and that is the other piece that this withness helps with. And this is why I prevenient grace is to me the be all end all also of, right, of theology. Right, prevenient right. grace and incarnation, I I can I can be a happy girl right there. Mm-hmm. Um because prevenient grace means it's not on my shoulders. It was never on my shoulders. I get to help. Yeah. That I am the yeah. second Part. person in this oh. equation. <laughs> right. right. And that we're not saving. We're just pointing them yeah. to Correct. remind them that God Correct. is with Hey, God is already with you. Right. Yes. You're already loved. And, and, and God's already done the work. It's already, it's done. already done. Not to mention the that particular view um, makes makes salvation only about sin. Correct. Amen. And, and when we look at the Old Testament definitions, right. salvation was God rescuing you from physical circumstances that yeah. meant the end of your actual life. Yes. Mm-hmm. So when, when we start thinking about salvation as not just about when I sin, but when I am wounded, mm-hmm. when I am unsafe, mm-hmm. now what does it mean for us to be with people right. and offer salvation, not just to save you from your sins, but what about from your circumstances? Right. What about from your your illness or your right. hurting? Um, those kind of things also, I mean, that in that word salvation is the word salve. Right. Yeah. Mm. A balm, yeah. something that heals and restores and not everyone is sick or wounded by any fault of their own. Mm-hmm. So not all salvation has anything to do with sin. Mm-mm. But do right. we but but do we feel the same amount of responsibility to be those mediators of salvation in those real tangible physical ways yeah. to people that we do feel that same responsibility for like you said saving their souls. Right. Mm-hmm. right. Because it's it's wholeness. It's about the wholeness, which means the integration, which means mm-hmm. that that Jesus is with me in my emo- my spiritual sense. Jesus is present with me in my emotional sense. Mm-hmm. Jesus is present with me in my physical sense. Mm-hmm. We, Jesus is present with me in my orientation, in my identity, mm-hmm. in my in my relationships, both both physical. I, 
Jesus is, yeah. I mean, it gets to, I mean, Nadia Boltzweber would say that, that, that one of the translations of that has to, is, is, is a word that's used for sexual intimacy. Mm-hmm. It is that kind of intimacy that is so close that the whole mm-hmm. of who we are is shared and present and we are made whole by it. Mm-hmm. And we just talked about last week, how did Jesus want us to minister to souls by eating and drinking right. the food and mm-hmm. the wine. Yeah. Like there is not a separation between ministering to people's souls and what you do physically with your body when you are engaging with other people. And isn't that salvation? And to bring it back, just showing up to the table mm-hmm. right. can be your moment of salvation right. with. in our understanding of it. And just showing up as you are. Exactly. Not having prayed a prayer. Nope. Not having understood the 17 right. million different Roman mm-hmm. roads yeah. and atonements. Nope. Just showing up as you are, who you are, because Christ is already with you and you didn't know it. Yeah. Well, that's a good place to stop. <laughs> and we'll talk to you next week. <laughs>